0: Claudia, you're here. You look great. That's an answer to my email I sent you this morning. Nice to see you, too. Pardon? I didn't have time to respond. That's all right. You responded. You're here. Good morning, everybody. Good Good to see everybody here. This is a huge crowd. <laughs> and to all of you watching, and a, mo- and a special word for those of you watching and listening, uh, Shortly. I'm gonna do my duty. I know what you're all saying. I know what you're all thinking. I'm not one to ignore the rampaging elephant in the corner of the room as we say. And we are to confront absolutely everything in life that life throws at us. Uh, By way of the truth, with the truth, and uh, for the truth. Um, Is uh, anybody having deja vu of the year 2000? We've been all through this before, haven't we? Here we go again. Uh, Another presidential election that highly likely is going to end up in the Supreme Court. Um, Yeah, here we go again. Uh, One of the reasons why I bring that up is um, your country is in extreme danger and it's our country and it's on our watch and we need to be wide awake eyes wide open ears wide open prepared for whatever is coming our way I've thought for many years now that the United States of America was going to experience a time of great hardship perhaps sacrifice, and even conflict if this country was going to survive. And we very well may experience that. Uh, My wife gets aggravated at me when I say it, but for a number of years now, I have thought that I probably would not die of old age in a bed the way this country and the way this world is going. That's all right. That's all right. The martyrs are those who will be the movers and shakers in the kingdom of God in the future. Um, You know, I uh, Bernie and I, for many, many years now, um, we've uh, supported the American Center of Law and Justice. I encourage you to support the American Center of Law and Justice. Um... I heard Jay Sekulow say in one of his programs this week that um, he doesn't know for sure, but if this election should end up in the Supreme Court, it's highly likely that he would play a personal role in that. Uh, Jay's one of the best that America has. He's a brilliant man, obviously a Christian believer. In fact, I don't know where this country would be and many people around the world, I don't know where they would be if it wasn't for Jay Sekulow. So uh, he, he personally may find himself right at the spears point of, of this battle when it goes to the Supreme Court and it's, it's, it's highly likely that it will. So we all need to be uh, praying about that and taking that seriously. Um, I always have history with me. It's always here. It's always here. That's just the way God made me. Uh, Ask my family. I was a very strange little kid. That's the way I always was from my earliest childhood. Um, and at times like these, history's always here. And the great men of our past are always here, here and here and I gave you a quote a few weeks ago from Sir Winston Churchill who is half American very proud of it by the way but I give you the words of one of our founders because he was a very devout believer and he put his life and his everything on the line for the birth of this country and he gave a very important speech which is one of the speeches which led to the birth of this country and I paraphrase a few bits and pieces from his words he once said men may cry peace peace when there is no peace what would men wish what would they have is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery forbid it almighty God I know not what course others may take but as for me give me liberty or give me death. Allow me to add to live is Christ, to die is gain. I believe in that man's words and I will live and I will die by those words. I encourage you to do your duty as well in the days ahead. We pursue our duty as Americans and as Christians wherever it may lead us, whatever the cost may be. Now a very special word to folks who are watching and listening. Received some wonderful news this week that there are folks in the Philippines who have been watching and listening, at least on one occasion. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of this, you're probably not aware of it now because we're not to the letter P yet, but the Philippines is in this book. People in this book have watched and listened. I believe, if memory serves me correct, uh, someone from Poland or some folks from Poland have watched and are listening. Um, We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord for watching us and for listening to us and for taking part in the Word of God, our study of the Word of God with us. We love you very, very much and thank you for joining us and we pray that you will stay with us we pray for you and yes again we do love you even though we may not meet you this side of eternity we are one in Christ Jesus as the Apostle Paul teaches us in this letter that we're exploring and one day we will meet you and we will be with you in the perfect world that knows no end we pray for you and for your situations and circumstances and as odd as it may seem, I, I, I ask you to pray for us. You folks in the Philippines, Poland, wherever you may be, international watchers, listeners, pray for us. Pray for our country. Pray for us that we have the bravery and the courage to do what needs to be done to keep the sacred fire of liberty, as our founders would say, alive. Not only for our own sakes, for yours, whatever the cost may be. With that, let's have a look around the world to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Nepal, the land of Nepal, from the Global Prayer Guide. Please, this week, and today and in the days to come pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Nepal. Voice of the Martyrs has designated Nepal as hostile. According to Christian leaders in the country, the government of Nepal is taking a stronger stand against religious conversion. Despite the 2015 Constitution guaranteeing religious freedom, Parliament passed a bill in 2017 criminalizing conversion to Christianity. I wonder when that's going to come to our shores. In 2018, the Prime Minister and other government officials publicly said anyone found changing their religion will be expelled from the country. In addition, any charity organizations engaged in preaching will be shut down. Christian communities are small but they are outspoken. Nepalese are divided between Hinduism, Buddhism, and old pagan animism. Families, communities, Marxist, atheistic, communist groups, and Hindu groups pressure Christians who also experience some government interference. There is a small visible Christian community in Nepal, but they are now being pressured by a government to create a purely Hindu nation. Marxist groups, uh, another significant force within Nepal also persecutes Christians. Christians face harassment, beatings from local Hindus. Four Christians were arrested and convicted of witchcraft after praying for a mentally ill woman in 2016. However, their convictions and five-year prison sentences were later overturned and they were released. Bibles are legal, but many people cannot afford them. Distribution is difficult in mountainous areas. Voice of the Martyrs distributes Bibles, trains pastors, and provides Christian literature and tools for evangelism. So please pray for the people of Nepal and for all, any and all, of their needs. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, Ruler of heaven and earth, one and only true Creator, Redeemer God, you who are absolute and ultimate reality, and you who are sovereign, thank you for giving us the divine plan. The big picture by which we can successfully and wisely and well navigate our way through this life. Thank you for this divinely inspired letter that you gave Paul and which has been preserved all these 2,000 years to teach and instruct, to lead and inspire and guide your people the world over. Through this world which is half pilgrimage and battleground on our way to our eternal home, Thank you for giving us the big picture in this letter written to our Ephesian brothers and sisters. Thank you for teaching the concept of the happy Christian warrior, armored up and on campaign. Thank you for that truth that the Apostle Paul teaches in this letter as well. Thank you for the folks in Poland, the folks in the Philippines, and perhaps other foreign nations the world over who have been watching and listening here to the proclamation of the truth of your word. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to serve you and to proclaim your world, not only to our community and to at least five or six states in our country that I'm aware of, but to the world at large. By the power of your spirit, pierce the hearts and minds of all who have watched and listened with the truth of your word. By the power of your spirit, help them to translate your words into action in their lives to combat the situations and circumstances that they face, wherever they are, wherever they may be. And thank you for the big picture, which is our final and ultimate hope. We know the end. We know where this is all headed. We know where we're bound. We know how all of this ends. Thank you for, as we say, giving us the vision of the magnificent forest. Never let us forget the vision of the forest for all of those trees that we bump up against on a daily basis, whatever they may be. Thank you for this beautiful day which points to the world to come. Thank you for the magnificent weather we've had this week and will for some days to come. Extraordinary weather for this kind of time of year here. It's been so wonderful to have another taste of summer, even in November. And I rejoiced every day in it and I rejoiced that it all points to the perfect world to come when Jesus Christ, our Lord, returns and renovates his creation, a creation in which there is no death, no evil, and in which only holiness exists and dwells. Thank you for that hope and for that promise. Thank you for the martyrs who have gone before us all these many years. Thank you for the reformers who changed the world and faced down evil and corruption and evil governments in their day. Thank you for the founders of this country and what they did, most of them, many of them believers in you, who lived by your word, who ignited a fire, lit a flame, kindled a fire that changed the world. Help us to follow in their footsteps, all of their footsteps, to do our duty by you and by them and to brothers and sisters around the world, the world over, as we have already said, wherever that duty may take us, wherever it may lead, whatever the cost may be, we thank you for the inspiration of all of these brothers and sisters in Jesus who have come to our attention through this prayer guide. They need us. Help us to do our duty by them. Help us to... They are our inspiration. They are an inspiration to us. They teach us our duty and what we should be doing. They are a witness, a strength, an example to us. And we thank you for them. Thank you for Claudia. For her strength, for her faith, for her witness, for her testimony. Thank you for keeping her looking good and feeling good for all appearances. We pray for her healing of her body in every way and may her circumstance and situation be a bright and shining light for you with her family, her friends, doctors, nurses, technicians, hospital workers of every kind. And I personally want to thank you for her witness and her testimony and her great peace and courage with what she's going through. Pray for Shelly's dad and for his health. Heal his body. Give him peace of mind about his health. I pray for that family. I pray for all of our prayer requests. I pray for folks who are going through situations and circumstances I'm totally ignorant of. Please bless them. Please help them. Reveal yourself to them in the way that you know best, by way of the presence of your Spirit and the truth of your Word. Give them great strength and great courage in dark times. Teach us joy in dark times. Give us a spirit of courage and of adventure. For we belong to a people who those who have gone before us. Those who are all over the world now. And if you tarry in the return of the sun, those who are going to come after us. Paul teaches us in this letter that we are part of a magnificent people, a worldwide people. People that will fill the kingdom of Jesus from all the centuries past and present and future. Help us to do our duty by them, for they are a part of us. And we are a part of them in a profound and deep, very real and mysterious way. Thank you for all of these truths. Help us to really live our life by all of these truths. Translate them into action in our lives. Forgive us of our sins, our faults, when we have failed you. Pick us up, clean us up. By the blood of Christ Jesus, by the power of your spirit, by the truth of your word, pick us up, clean us up, set us on our way. Cultivate in us the mind and heart of the happy Christian warrior. For so we need to be here at this time on our watch. In the blessed and holy name of Jesus, I beg of you, O God, receive this prayer. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you join me now by standing for the reading of the Word of the Lord? The passage we'll be unpacking today. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 to 22. Paul will teach several very important truths to us in this passage, but the most important truth to take away from this passage is Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone of his church, his people, this living building, which is, Paul declares to be a holy temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 to 22, Christ the cornerstone. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have one, our access in one spirit to the Father, These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So today we finish chapter 2. We continue with Paul's teaching, particularly to Gentile believers. As I told you last week, we believe there probably were a few Jewish members of the congregation of those house churches in Ephesus, but highly likely most of the members of that church were Gentile believers. So he takes uh, the last part of of chapter 2 here, to focus in on on we Gentile believers, he has a special special message for the Gentiles. They're not left out. Salvation wasn't just for the Jewish people. Through the Jewish people, salvation through Christ the Son was to come into the world. So, he's going to teach us some more concerning our new identity in Christ, our place, our identity in history, our place and identity as members of Christ's church. His redeemed people in this era of Christ's new covenant. 17, verse 17, again. And He, that is Jesus, and by the way, I don't know if this is capitalized or in quotation marks in your biblical text, but Paul is practically giving a citation or quotation from the Old Testament. He's giving us a conflation of two uh, verses from the book of Isaiah. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. So, first phrase. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off or far away, and peace to those who were near. So Paul, again, he is alluding to here two passages in the book of Isaiah. He's practically quoting it. It's a conflation of Isaiah fifty-seven nineteen and Isaiah 52, 7. And these two verses uh, are something of a prophecy concerning the Messiah. These verses prophesy the salvation message, which goes what? To both Jews and Gentiles. It's a Messianic prophecy. It's all fulfilled in Christ, His mission, His ministry. This is what He's going to do when He arrives, when He shows up. This is what Messiah will do when He arrives. He will preach. He will proclaim peace with God. It is possible. Peace with God to all Jews, Gentiles. Peace with God, and then peace amongst the people of God. And he, that he is speaking of Jesus, this is the Christ, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away. Obviously, when Christ arrived, Paul is saying he came to preach God's peace, yes, to the Gentiles. There were many instances in the four Gospels where Jesus preaches to the Gentiles, sometimes in very personal one-on-one encounters. Paul is reminding these Gentile Ephesians that Christ, don't forget, He arrived for you. He obviously came for you as well. He arrived for them, for Gentiles as well. Christ's Messianic ministry was through the Jews and first to the Jews, but to the entire world, to all ethnicities the world over, those spiritually far, those who should have been spiritually near, Jew and Gentile, anyone and everyone who would believe in Him. Now I'm going to take you back to the Gospel of Luke that we studied. Oh gosh, it's probably been a year or so. Since we finished the Gospel of Luke, hopefully some of this incident will be fresh in your mind. I'm going to take you to the Gospel of Luke and give you one particular incident in the life of Jesus' ministry where this is obvious. He announces by way of Isaiah that He is the Messiah and that He arrived. He first arrived to the Jewish people. Some would accept Him, many would reject Him. And he reminds them in that faithful day in that synagogue in Nazareth that not only did he, the Messiah, arrive for the Jews, he arrived for the Gentiles, and that he would go to the Gentiles as well. So for those who want to go back there with me, let's go to the Gospel of Luke quickly. Luke chapter 4 in particular. Luke chapter 4. Beginning in verse 14. We'll just read through this with just a remark or two. And Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about Him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth. This is one of the most magnificent events in the life of Jesus. I absolutely love this. It's one of my favorite days in the life of Jesus. And this is one of the most momentous days in the history of the world. God Almighty prophesied from shortly after the dawn of creation has arrived. And he announces it by way of his own word given to an ancient prophet beforehand. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. That is, preach and proclaim peace that Paul told us of in Ephesians. He has sent me to proclaim release, peace, peace. Deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, This very day this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is is this not Joseph's son and he said to them no doubt you will quote this proverb to me physician heal yourself whatever we heard was done at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well in other words so if you are the miracle worker claiming to be the Messiah let's see evidence of it right here in your own hometown church so to speak and Jesus said truly I say to you no prophet is welcome in his hometown But I say to you in solemn truth, now this is his announcement that he will go to the Gentiles. I say to you in solemn truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah the prophet, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a Gentile woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, a Syrian, a Gentile. That is Jesus literally fulfilling what Paul is reminding us of here. When Messiah arrived through the Jewish people, He arrived for the Jewish people and for all ethnicities the world over. He arrived for the Gentiles as well. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we just read, proclaimed God's peace to Jew and Gentile, those far and near in His life and His ministry. And now it is important to remember that after His resurrection and His ascension, He still preaches and proclaims peace with God for Gentiles, for those far and near. He does so by way of His Holy Spirit through His faithful messengers. In the first century A.D., he spoke through his apostles. He still proclaims peace, peace with God, and peace amongst God's people. Verse 18, For through him, through Christ Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have our access in one spirit to the Father. For through him, Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Folks, do you realize you have the doctrine of the Trinity in this short verse? He is speaking of the reality of God as one in nature in essence and being, and yet God profoundly, deeply and mysteriously, three in His personhood. You are to have a relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Your salvation is a Trinitarian work, Father, Son, and Spirit. For through Him, Christ, God the Son. We both, Jews and Gentiles, have our access to In one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we have access to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. Trinity here in this verse. By the way, the word Spirit in that verse should be a capital S. It is the Holy Spirit of God. So through the atoning work of Christ, Christian believers, Jew and Gentiles, are redeemed now have access to the first person of the Trinity, God Almighty the Father, the High King of Heaven, by way of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is a Trinitarian verse. All three persons of the Trinity are here. You have a relationship with the Triune God. As the ESV Study Bible has in a study note, in their textual notes, many of you have that study Bible, that's why I like to make use of it, What does Paul mean by access? You have access to God. That is an amazing truth and concept. You now can have access to the divine being, he who is absolute and ultimate reality. That should rattle your cage. Perhaps you've heard it so many times that it just doesn't mean anything to you anymore. It should mean everything to us. The study note in the ESV study Bible says, What does Paul mean by access? He means this. To draw near to God, that's access. To draw near to God and to enjoy Him forever, sound familiar? And a new creation is both mankind's greatest good and the ultimate accomplishment of Christ's earthly work of redemption, end quote. Paul is saying that this is now opened up to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, all ethnicities, God's people are to be drawn out from all of humanity. In America, in Poland, in the Philippines, and beyond. And all the forces of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Not then, not now, not ever. All opened up to God's people who are to be brought in the world over. All the people's of the world may come to faith and new life in Christ. He who is the one, the ultimate mediator between God and humankind. Again, what's the goal of all this? Where's all this headed for? What's all this headed towards? The meaning and purpose for which human beings were created in the first place. Relationship with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's what access to God means. And this will all be perfectly achieved at the end of the divine library, which gives you the end of the divine plan. Revelation 21 3. The Apostle John writes, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. As the Old Westminster Catechism says, we truly will glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Again, please do not forget the Trinitarian truth of this verse. Our salvation is a Trinitarian work and accomplishment. The the incarnate Son's work on the cross brings His redeemed people to the Father by the means and power and conduit of the work of God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now Paul will teach more upon the implications of Christ's peace for Jew and Gentiles. Verse 19, So then, or therefore, because of all the truth that I've been teaching you up to this point, what's the conclusion? So then, you Gentile folks in Ephesus, you Gentile folks in America in the world over, you are no longer strangers and aliens, which you were before totally cut off from all hope of God. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So beginning with this verse, so then, Paul is going to proceed to teach more about the key implications of all the truths that he taught us from verses 11 to 18. The assurance and confidence Paul wishes for you to have is based upon these given facts. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. So to describe to we Gentile believers our new identity in Christ, new relationship to God and His people, the new covenant people made up of Jews and Gentiles, Paul uses terms in the first century A.D., first-century terminology from the Greco-Roman world, from the Roman Empire in particular, that would have been quite familiar to civic and political life at that time, terms that all of the Ephesians would have recognized immediately and responded to. Let me give it to you in the Greek. You get it more in the Greek, obviously, than you do in the English. Paul says this, because of the truths we learn in verses 11 to 18, Sorry, microphone. You Gentile believers are no longer strangers. He uses a particular word, a civic political word for stranger. The word is zenoi. Zenoi. It means a foreigner. Somebody who is an outsider, a foreigner, living in the city, a province, what have you. And as they are a foreigner, they have no guaranteed civil rights or privileges. Paul is saying, you are no longer this. You are no longer a stranger from God or the people of God or the kingdom of God. You are no longer a zenoi with no rights or privileges or liberties. No citizenship. That's all changed for you. You are a citizen now. You do have a home. You do have a place to belong. Part of a kingdom. And you do have rights and privileges as a citizen in Christ's kingdom. He also says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Aliens is paroikoi. Parochoi was a civic political term of the time that meant a person who lived in a city or a province for some time, they very well could have even been born there, but they still were tolerated as some sort of a foreigner neighbor. They were what we might uh, refer to today as a resident alien. They still didn't have proper citizenship, so they still didn't possess full legal access to legal protections and privileges. And if you remember from the book of Acts, Roman citizenship was highly desired and coveted in the first century A.D. Paul was a Roman citizen, and Paul used his Roman citizenship to great advantage at several trouble spots in his life. Paul is saying, you formerly had no citizenship in the kingdom of God, but now you do. This is what you were before your conversion a paroikoi, a zenoi, stranger, an alien. Now you're not. If you are a recipient of the new birth in Christ, you are a member of Messiah's kingdom, his people. You are now a full citizen, a member of Christ's kingdom with all the legal rights and privileges and liberties thereunto, with all it means and brings. It's interesting, isn't it? He brings up the issue of citizenship. And here in America, we highly prize our citizenship, and to be a citizen once again is a critical issue in our country. And there are those who would wish to render American citizenship meaningless. Now whatever direction that that goes in, do not despair, Christian believer, because you have dual citizenship. You have American citizenship, which it is, it is our duty to defend and to maintain. But your first loyalty, your ultimate priority, is that you are a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that citizenship will never be taken away from you by any tyrant, whoever they may be. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if you are a recipient of the new birth. Exult in that. Rejoice in that. Be proud in that you are a member of the kingdom which knows no end. Now and forevermore, world without end, as the old ones would say. You are now fellow citizens with all the saints and are of God's household. That is an astounding thing to say and to wrap your mental and emotional arms around. But now you are fellow citizens. He uses another political term there, some politai, it's related to polituma the word by which we arrive at polity, politics, that sort of thing. Some polity means full citizenship with full rights, privileges, responsibilities, liberties. He's saying you are now a fully fledged citizen of Christ's kingdom and all that that means and all that that brings. Don't you dare forget it and live like it's the truth. He says you are also citizens with the saints. The word in Greek that we traditionally translate as saints is hagioi, which literally means holy ones. You are one of the holy ones, not because of your intrinsic or inherent holiness, but because of the holiness that has been placed upon you and in you by the Holy Spirit of God when you receive the new birth by way of Jesus Christ our Lord. You are now a member of the holy ones, whether you look like it or not, whether you really feel like it or not at any given time or not. But live like you are, because if you are a recipient of the new birth, you are a citizen and a member of the Holy Ones in Christ's kingdom. Holy Ones, God's people, redeemed people, other Christian believers, Jews and Gentiles, the unified people of God, bound for this kingdom in this new creation which is coming. And here's one of the most amazing things of all and you are of God's household. It's an astounding thing to say. It's even shocking. It should be shocking. Paul is saying that believers are members of the household of God the Almighty. They are considered his family, not merely his servants adopted human family members as the New Testament teaches us members of his household. The word that he uses there in the original language is again significant to help you understand this. The word is oikeioi from the Greek word oikos which means house or home. Oikeioi means someone who belongs to a home. Someone who is a resident of a household. Someone who is a family member. Let me quote Clint Arnold from his commentary, he makes a very few important points. He writes, for Paul to say that his Christian Gentile readers are full fellow citizens with all the saints, this would have communicated, does communicate, what a stunningly elite privilege God has bestowed upon his people in Christ. What is far more stunning is when Paul shifts from the political metaphor to say that God has included believers in his very family as family members, oikeoi, members of his household. Greco-Roman families in the first century very often included widowed or orphaned relations. They very often included freed slaves, which they called freedmen, slaves who they had freed but still worked and lived with the family as employees, and yes, slaves. So Greco-Roman families were often therefore very large. Christian believers, however, he writes, are not included in God's family as slaves or even freedmen, but the New Testament teaches we have all been adopted into the household as sons and daughters and therefore heirs and co-heirs with the eternal Son. End quote. This is your true identity in Christ, Paul says. This is your true identity, Christian believer. This is where you really belong. You belong there now. You're as good as there and this is your final destiny the household of God it's magnificent beyond words and if this is true then how should this then determine how we live verse 20 having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets the greatest truth of all the banner truth of this passage Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone so first of all having been built upon the foundation Epoikodomeo, pardon me, Epoikodomeo, that's the particular word he uses for foundation. Epoikodomeo means to build or establish a very firm permanent foundation. Foundation to what? God's household as he just told you. So Paul uses now construction metaphor, building metaphor, architectural imagery for the people of God. All of the people of God together corporately are a household built on a firm foundation. That firm foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Or to be a more, bit more specific, the work, the life, work, and ministry of the apostles and the prophets. Apostles as apostelon, which means sent one. Those who are personally commissioned by Jesus Christ in the flesh to preach His gospel, fulfill His great commission, and to build Christianity, to spread it and build His church in this world. Prophets are prophetai or propheton, those who give the words of God the given words of God to people those who represent God by way of his words to people now you may be thinking he's referring to the Old Testament prophets I do not believe so I believe he is referring to New Testament prophets I hang my hat with the theologians who believe this is a reference to New Testament New Covenant Church era prophets that is those who were given the gift of prophecy by the power of the Holy Spirit, such as you read in the book of Acts. So he probably means New Testament, early church era, apostles and prophets, those who were to serve and build the first century Christian church. Apostles, again, the sent ones, the original apostles, to establish Christ's church in the world. And again, prophets is probably a reference to the gift of prophecy by the Holy Spirit in the apostolic era before the completion of the New Testament Scriptures. If you want a reference to the gift of prophecy go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul deals with the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy at some length in that chapter. At this time both the Apostles and the New Testament era prophets were charged with giving inspired revelation to the early church communities. The early churches to what? Establish Christianity in the world. So Paul is saying that these first century early church apostles and prophets were in a very real way, in a very important sense. They were foundational in establishing and building Christ's church in the world. We benefit tremendously from what they did. We benefit tremendously from their service and work for Christ, their service and work for us, the members of His church. And here's the most, probably the most important truth of the entire passage Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Look, look at me, look at me, look at me. Wake up, look at me. Get this. Let me tell you something, folks. Until I have some real peace about what's going on in this country and this world, I'm going to be coming at you at Sunday morning and Tuesday night with a great sense of urgency because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this without paying with my life for it. Let's get real about this. If not now, I'd like somebody to tell me when. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone of his church. Then and now and always, the world over. The person of Christ himself serves as the cornerstone. Paul says in the Greek, the extreme corner, the highest corner, the first corner, the head corner, the number one corner, the most important corner, the foundational corner, the most important stone in the entire structure for structural soundness and stability of a building. That is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus himself is this cornerstone of the households of God's people upon which this foundation, the apostles and the prophets, was built. Jesus is the cornerstone giving soundness and stability to this new temple, the people of God. New people of God. Temple of God. In verse 21, which is next, Paul will tell tell us that this household, this building made up of God's people, is a temple. It is a holy temple. Jesus Christ keeps his church square and sound and stable. Folks, it's all upon the person of Christ. All upon Christ. Verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Here Paul gives another beautiful metaphor for the church which many Folks of love throughout the centuries. Christ people, Christian believers, were all together, being built together, fitted together, formed together, dovetailed together, mortared together. A temple. In whom the whole building, which is a temple, the church, the people of God, all Christian believers corporately, are being fitted together. He's using construction language there. All Christian believers are being fitted together as one. You are growing together into a holy temple. A holy temple. Why is the temple holy? It's holy because God dwells there. It's holy because the presence of God is there. This is one of the chief means by which this world experiences and encounters the presence of God in this world. The temple of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ, made up of the people of God in this world. He uses a particular word there for temple, it's naos, and N-A-O-S. naos temple is of a very particular part of a temple. A naos part of the temple was the inner housing of a temple complex where the deity was actually believed to have dwelt. In the Jewish temple, the temple in Jerusalem, which was still standing at the time, Paul wrote this letter. The naos is what we would call the most holy place. The Holy of Holies, where the infinite God in His supernatural localized presence came down to dwell and to meet with His people. This temple in this era of history, this era of redemptive history, the era of the new covenant, the era of the New Testament, the church era, it's you. You're the temple. Paul will teach that you are individually a temple where the presence of God dwells, and all of you together corporately are a temple, a holy temple, where the presence of God dwells. Christian believers are the place where God's Spirit lives in His people and meets with His people and dwells with His people in this world. As the ESV Study Bible, which you have, writes, "...a holy temple where God meets with His people in joyful worship and fellowship. Believers do not have to worship in Jerusalem today because they themselves have become the new temple of God." A holy temple in the Lord. That is, a holy temple in Jesus Christ. (coughs) What does that mean? Clinton Arnold answers that question in his commentary. He writes, "...the spiritual temple is in the Lord, that is, it exists only in the corporate unity that Christ has created." by bringing individuals into a dynamic union with Himself. Do you get it? As time goes on, as the divine plan goes humming right along, this building is being built. And every Christian believer who enters into it, what happens? The building gains more beauty, structure, Soundness, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And in the new creation, it will fill all of the new creation. Last verse of the chapter, last verse of the day. In whom you also, Paul gets a little personal here. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God. In or by way of the Holy Spirit. It's a personal reference to the Ephesians and, of course, by association and extension, it's personal reference to us. Paul is saying here, you reader, you Christian believer, you folks for whom I'm writing this letter, you also, yes you, you are being built together, you are being fitted together, you are being joined together as one into this supernatural dwelling, this metaphorical dwelling Katoiketerion is the word Paul uses for dwelling there it's a special word for dwelling kato it means a suitable habitation for someone to live in it means a suitable place for someone or a family to live you see what he's saying here you are being made into a suitable habitation for God Almighty himself to live in and to dwell in dwelling place for God a place for God to dwell in His localized presence, to meet with His people, to live with His people, His adopted human family. And all of this is happening in the Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, or allow me to perhaps translate it this way, by means of the Holy Spirit. What does He mean by that? He means the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. He is the manner, He is the means, and if I can use this word, He is the conduit by which God dwells or inhabits you, individually and corporately. The Holy Spirit is the conduit, the third person of the Trinity. He himself is the manner in which God dwells in you and dwells in his temple, dwells in this body of believers. Gordon Fee, wonderful old theologian, writes, By the indwelling of the Spirit of God, both the individual and in the Christian community, God in dwells his temple, his people. Last word of the day I'll give you from Clint Arnold. I think you might enjoy a few final thoughts he shares in the end of his commentary on this chapter. One is for all of us, and one thought he has its very personal to he himself, which I found very interesting. You might enjoy it. And you might apply this to yourself somehow. First of all, he writes, when Paul first wrote this letter, there is no Ephesian that would hear verses 21 and 22 without thinking immediately of the great pagan temple of Artemis or Diana in their very city. This place was one of the seven architectural wonders of the ancient world. It was the largest building in the Greek world. It made Ephesus an important tourist attraction and formed a large part of the economy of Ephesus. But the temple of which these Christian Ephesians are now a part is growing into a cosmic temple that will transcend all and any human buildings in magnificence and variegated beauty. The worldwide church of Jesus the Christ. And Paul says it's growing it's growing, it's growing, present tense, it's growing, and it will continue to grow until Messiah returns. And on a personal note, he writes, I often ponder what my predominantly Welsh ancestors were like at the time of Christ and the apostles, at the time that Paul wrote this letter. Like all other Gentile peoples, they were hopeless pagans, perhaps of the most brutal and ignorant sort, whose practices of Druidism would even be outlawed by violent pagan Rome. This is not just a narcissistic exercise, but a reminder of God's immeasurable grace, and equally important, a reminder that no one has any ethnic superiority in Christ's church as if they come from some sort of pure pedigree of godly people. One of the clear implications from Ephesians 2, to 22 is that every single solitary Christian believer, no matter what his or her ethnic background, male or female, social identity, income, or any other thing, every Christian believer has equal standing with all of the other saints in light as a full citizen of the inaugurated new creation, By the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the tremendous truth that you have given us this day by way of your Spirit, by way of your blessed Apostle. We thank you for the foundation built upon the Apostles and the Prophets by which we in the 21st century receive tremendous blessings and benefit help us to carry their torch by the inspired word that they gave us. Help us to carry their torch by the power of your Spirit. Help us to live every day of our lives in the reality of the truth of these words, that the many the world over are one in Jesus Christ our Lord, a holy temple which will never be torn down, which will never crumble, which will never falter or fail or fade. Thank you for giving us these words of hope. Truly, Lord Jesus, please open the minds and hearts of everyone who hears this and will hear this, that they may translate these words into action in their life. Have mercy on us, O Sovereign God, that this may be so. In Jesus' holy name, amen. To dismiss, let's sing number 353 or...